Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Hello, friends. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. And welcome to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. It's been a bit since we've been with you. We took a little break over the holidays and we're feeling restored and happy to launch a new year with all kinds of exciting and yummy things coming up. We are the show that is for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper in life than we may do on our own. So we're offering you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. I'm Callie Alpert in Long Island today, coming to you from Long Island outside of New York City with my dear friend, spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg. So nice to see you. It's been ages. I know. I hope we remember how to do this. I know. I've been delving... And um, my delving was up in Carmel and Big Sur mm-hmm. for about a week. And it was absolutely a wonderful vacay. And you were, del- did you say you were delving? Yeah, that was your word, that we delve oh. into things <laughs> more deeply. <laughs> did I well, say that? <laughs> I was delving into nature. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm so glad. I was delving into an ashram in the Bahamas. I, As I say, I checked in. It's like spiritual rehab, and I highly recommend it. And I'm sure there will be some references that will come out during the course of the show today because it really was a beautiful reset. And, um, and I learned some things. And uh, there's definitely a bridge between what both of us did over the holiday and the show that we are presenting today. So... We're going to, because we took a little extra time than um, originally anticipated, we in, um, we intended to round out our, our series, our legendary personal growth books to get you through the holidays before the end of the year, but we do have one that we didn't get to. So we're going to do that today with our, um, our beloved friend at a distance, and, and I've had the pleasure of working with a little bit at Omega Institute, John Kabat-Zinn, and his seminal book, Wherever You Go, There You Are. So in this book, John talks about what the Buddhists call the mind stream, which is that never-ending ticker tape of thoughts, sensory experiences, and feelings that run through our awareness. In teaching mindful meditation, Kabat-Zinn asks readers to take a step back, to take a breath, and learn how to watch the thoughts and feelings that we all experience without becoming too attached or overwhelmed by them. So we're going to share our processes for learning how to do that to be our own witnesses to our thoughts and to share some um, suggestions for adopting this form of mindfulness to move from being mind-centered to heart-centered in the name of finding more peace and joy. Sounds like a good promise that we'll try. I'd I like to listen to this program today. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we can take turns at some point where, no, I, I couldn't do it without you. I need you. I need you. I don't know if you need me, but I need you. Um, so we would love to hear from you today. Launch our new year with some nice community and some interactive conversation. If you'd like to join us, you can call us at 816-251-3555. We would love to hear from you. There's no question that's too silly, no comment that's too unnecessary to share. So please uh, feel free to call in. So let's talk first about my, the, the mind stream and what it is. You know, this is a word that I I have actually only started using recently. It's like I certainly know what it is because I'm really good at doing it, <laughs> um, getting stuck in it, I should say. But where did this word originate or like where did you first learn about just the concept of mind stream. Well, you know, the first thing I thought about is that you don't step in the same mind stream twice. 
Uh, so if you remember that old thing about stepping in a river, it, it applies to the mind. Where did I learn about it? Yeah. Probably at Naropa Institute mm -hmm. in, in Boulder, Boulder when I was studying with our dear friend Ram Dass yes. and Trungpa Rinpoche, the wild, crazy man from Tibet. Yeah, he was sort of controversial as a uh, leader in the Buddhist traditions, right? Like, a, wasn't he sort of a wild child? Uh, Party boy, yes, sort of? Mm -hmm. Very promiscuous monk. Mm -hmm. my, my kind of guy. I know it is. <laughs> I'm sorry I can't introduce you to him. <laughs> so when I was, I was in that community in Europa in Boulder, and when I started going to the classes, they talked about the mind stream. And I, I thought I loved this word, but I didn't know what it meant. Mm -hmm. And I then learned that it's the beautiful, you said it, ticker tape of the thousands and tens of thousands of thoughts that we have every day and also the subsequent feelings. So I put that in into my definition. So it's thoughts and feelings and feelings and thoughts and that kind of rinse repeat cycle. Uh, most of us are really good at it. At being um, a mind stream? At being in the mind stream of just sort of the perseverating and like you said, the rinse and repeat of thoughts consuming us and being really repetitive. And I remember once in a show we did a while back where you actually gave a number about the amount of thoughts that we have in the course of a day. I don't remember what that number was, but it was a lot. And, you know, too since... Much. Right. It was, yeah, too much. And I mean, this is something like now it's, it's good to be, you know, for me, it's helpful to even be aware that it exists. I think that's the first step in, in trying to become, to get on a spiritual path or to create a sense of mindfulness or meditation, which we're going to get more deeply into in the show. But just the idea that we do have thoughts and we are not our thoughts is probably the, the first like sort of fundamental um, concept that we want to introduce, right? Um, the fact that our minds can go haywire crazy on us and we don't have to be caught in that web. And I didn't know that for a really long time. Like I didn't even know to separate it out. It wasn't even a thought to me, <laughs> no pun, but it wasn't even like a concept that there was something there that was separable, you know, that wasn't until later when I started getting mm -hmm. more into like an understanding of what mindfulness is, um, that I even gave it some thought. And now all these years later, I can say that it's still a, it's a, it's a moment to moment choice to step away from it, to try to create space from it. I know there's times when you and I've talked about, um, in the middle of the night when the wheels are turning and there, there comes a point where you actually, I think taught me this, where you can, you can actually say to your mind or to your thoughts, you know what, you guys can keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to go back to sleep and just sort of create a sense of separation. Exactly. So I think that's like something that's, that's a, a point that we're trying to introduce today. Yeah, I, I mean, what you said is so important because it doesn't happen to everybody. I remember when it happened to me. You remember when it happened to you. And there's a moment when you wake up and you go, wait a minute. These thoughts I'm having, they don't necessarily represent reality. I've been believing everything, mm -hmm. like the Greek chorus, this conversation that is 24-7, and I've believed everything they told me. Mm -hmm. It's like some <laughs> kind of very bizarre brainwashing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you go, wait a minute. I'm in here. Who am mm -hmm. I? <laughs> and what's the difference between me and those thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an amazing awakening, just sort of again, like the first step in, in everything that we're going to try to share today. Um, the idea that, you know, just something to consider, we are not our thoughts. And there's sort of a, um, you know, I, I often think of like a spider web that, you know, we get caught in that lures us. And I can be very good at it to the point where, I mean, I've had moments where if I have a, I don't know, a day or a series of days where some of my um, longer lasting narratives 
And as you always, we talk about, but you've taught me, a lot of them even come from our lifetimes, you know, previous lifetimes and our karmic history. So they can be extremely deeply embedded and rooted and extremely persistent. And, um, you know, just the idea of trying to create some space around them and realize that they're not who we are is just, it's a concept, you know, it's really in and of itself, it's a concept. Let me, let me mention something in our introduction that I've talked about before, but I think it's such a good analogy for anybody. In India, they talk about the power and restlessness of the surface of the ocean. Mm -hmm. So the ocean can have 60 foot waves, like some people surf in Nazarene in Spain, which is a whole other show, but there can be 60 foot waves. And if you go down 15 feet or even less, it's absolutely still. Mm -hmm. And in India, they use that analogy to talk about the mind. Mm -hmm. So before we wake up, we live in that restless mind that has 60 foot waves, that has 14 foot waves, and we're just churned from one side to the other. And then when we wake up, something happens. We go down about 10 or 15 feet, and there's silence, and we go, wait, where's all that restlessness? Mm -hmm. What's mm -hmm. going on up there? Mm -hmm. Is that me? Is that not me? And that's what we're talking about today. That's actually the first thing when I was working at a television show where um, Transcendental Meditation was brought to us. Some representative from the David Lynch Foundation came uh -huh. and taught us. And um, that was one of the very first lessons that we learned before we even got deeper into the process or got our mantras or all those things was exactly that analogy. I think even the teacher drew a little picture, like a little image of a few waves. And just right. the idea of the more you meditate, the you know the further you fall be below that tumultuous surface that's right and um so we're here to tell you that it is possible and um it's within all of our reach if you so choose and it can be a really good thing right so we'll start with that today let's go for it okay um the other thing i was going to say before is that there are times when my uh, mind stream gets so powerful and I get caught in these like storylines and narratives that when I come out of it and I mean it can really deeply affect my mood and my actions mm -hmm. so maybe not my actions so much but definitely my mood and my headspace yeah and I'll look back at it the next day and I'll think I was inhabited almost like I was right. like on a, some sort of trip or something right you know it's yeah. that inhabiting so we can get really really good at it and it's you know, and what, and what um, John Kabat-Zinn talks about in this book is the idea that, number one, it's such a great title, wherever you go, there you are. It's not like you can go on a vacation and it disappears. It might temporarily, there's escape, you know, ism, when there's something to be said for escapism, a big proponent of it. Um, but ultimately, we take it all with us. And so we can make these decisions at any moment, in any day, in any location to try to create that space or to drop further down under the um, the the waves, the level of the, the surface of the waves, right? Um, so do we want to talk a little bit about John Kabat-Zinn? What do you know about the man? Um, well, first of all, I've had the pleasure of working with him uh, yeah. at Omega Institute. He's, you know, one of our legendary faculty teachers and a, um, you know, iconic luminary in the, in the study and practice of mindfulness. I don't have a lot, um, you know, on him, a few notes about just his past. I think he was, did he start as a professor of medicine? Yes. Right. And he was, he, he oversaw like a stress reduction clinic. I feel like, and this is me, I'll apologize in advance because I don't want to butcher his resume. Um, but I feel like he started with a lot more scientific and sort of um, yeah. neuroscientific background before he got into more of the spiritual metaphysical aspects of meditation and mindfulness, right? I believe that's true, Callie. Okay. All right. You'll take my word for it. Yep. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the idea of, and again, I want to say if anybody, I'm going to invite anybody who wants to join us to call, to talk about the chatter in their minds, to tell us how noisy their brains are, to tell us how, they're, how they've succeeded in pulling away and creating space, give us a call at 816 251 3555. 
So why is it important? Why do we care and why are we doing this show today? Let's talk about why we feel um, like you, you, you said something that I thought was really powerful when we were doing our little pre-pro the other day, that society pushes self-improvement in every way, but what's more important is self-acceptance. And yes. I think that's such a beautiful and important distinction that kind of speaks to um, what Cabot's in and what the, the overall school of mindfulness and meditation espouse for people, right? <clears throat> I will see if I can expound a little on this. <laughs> okay. So um, this is something that I've used in my practice for a long time. Because when you think of a psychology practice or going to therapy, what you often think about, and I did for much of my career, how to improve people's lives, right? And how do we improve our life? We take courses, we become better. Again, there's nothing wrong with improvement. That has its merits. We've been we, there. We've taken every dang we class take, and course. Read and... all the books, right? Mm-hmm. Practice the breathing. Do the yoga asanas. Do the things that you know are going to help you. Um, become a carpenter. It just depends what it is <coughs> to create improvement. And again, improvement is really part of being alive. But then I realized that at some point, people can improve themselves forever and not accept themselves. Mm-hmm. And that was like a jarring revelation for me. Yeah. Okay, we're improving your life. Everything's better. You know, you're taking more walks. But are you accepting yourself more? And do you know yourself better? Right? So the practice of mindfulness and the practice of meditation is ultimately a practice of acceptance, realization of your true self. Mm of the silence that lives inside of you. And that silence, which we can talk about later, is connected to the source of all life. Mm. It's such a beautiful distinction. And it also speaks to sort of a, the basic duality between looking without and looking within. Mm-hmm. Not that all self-improvement is looking outside, but I think often right. when people think of that, it's, it's the, I aspire to do this. I'm going to change this. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to try this. I'm going to assume this. I'm going to do this practice. And those are all, you know, I, I, I did it myself in the last few days, added to my practice as a way to, you know, to grow my right. own personal self-improvement, I guess, for lack of a better term. But it's the difference between sort of aspiring and seeking and looking for and adding to as opposed to subtracting from, I think, right? So looking on the inside is... Like you said, in the self-acceptance feels like it's more about leaning in and being one and loving what's already there versus aspiring to what's not there yet. And I think that's just a good kind of bare bones distinction to make as we and talk what, about this. And what is there? <laughs> yeah. What? What? Right? I don't know. So what is in there? Yeah. Yeah. We do know a little. Let's talk about that. Right? Yeah. So what's inside? I use the word source of all life. Mm. So if we go back to the ocean analogy, which I love so much, and we put on our scuba gear, (laughs) and we have those really, really long fins, and we go down really, really deep, we're, we're, what we get to is more inherent joy, more inherent peace, more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but some, some, whoever, whatever elf in the ether is listening to us like that. Right. I like that a little a lot. jig, a little, little song. So more, more singing, mm-hmm. more creativity. Right. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we're merging with a quantum field. Right. And that quantum field, we know from physics, is the field of all possibilities. 
And so we're moving toward the self. Let's say the self is the field, the self, the true self is the field of all possibilities. Isn't this what we've been looking for our right. whole life on the outside? Right, exactly. That's where the, uh, I don't know why the word breeding ground sounds, doesn't exactly sound like the most artistic, but that's like where the blank canvas is from which we can create or write our, our stories or create our whatever it is that we want, right? right. It's sort of emptying out and getting rid of and shedding all the stuff that gets in the way. I always liken it to uh, like a beautiful statue or sculpture before it's created uh -huh. and it starts underneath a big chunk of clay or marble and then gets chiseled at until it's revealed and formed. And that's sort beautiful. of how I look at what you're saying. It's you know, um, a way of kind of unearthing and peeling back layers as opposed to adding to um, that seems to be coming up. Yeah. I think also it's important to talk about the idea that uh, true being is um, God or whatever mm -hmm. word we want to use, right? Mm -hmm. Divinity, source, the place from which we all come, the place where there is no separation between us and the bigger picture. Um, yeah. I heard I took a class at um, the ashram, <laughs> my new getaway, the ashram, just I like saying it because it makes me sound so austere. Um, but while I was taking this bhakti yoga class, the teacher talked about um, she's talking about source and non-dualism. And I don't want to get too off point here because then we're going to talk about the major yeah. tenets of of John Kabat-Zinn's book. Um, but she was likening what we're trying to express here to rivers that return to the ocean Yes. It's just a natural desire to find your way back to what you really are and where you really came from. And it's such a beautiful, simple analogy. So that stuck with me. Lovely. I like it a lot. Yeah, isn't that nice? Yep. So shall we start jumping into the um, sort of breaking down some of the major points of this beautiful book? Wherever you go, there you are. What? Uh, okay. Yes, but a poem from Rumi is coming. Oh, Okay. So Rumi says, you're not a single drop in the ocean. Mm -hmm. You are the ocean in a single drop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How to say it. Beautiful. We like our ocean metaphors today. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. I just saw that somewhere recently. It just kind awesome. of went by me. On, yeah. So the first one is, what is meditate? What's the difference between meditation and mindfulness? Okay. And why do we care? Okay. Why don't we talk a little about our own experiences? Mm -hmm. So my experience, and I, I teach mindfulness, I teach meditation, and I practice both, and I have for a long, long, long time. So for me, what mindfulness does for me, it allows me, as you were saying, to step back, from sometimes a wild river of a mind stream and to remember that I'm the stillness behind all of that. And I have the, the ability, even though sometimes I don't re remember that I have the ability to choose what thoughts and what feelings are real for me. So that's mindful for me. Mm -hmm. Meditation for me is not worrying at all about thoughts and feelings and just taking that deep scuba dive into the kind of heart of my mind, the heart of my mind. I like that mm -hmm. going into the heart of my mind and really just experiencing the stillness thoughts come and go. doesn't matter. I'm in the stillness. So that for me is the distinction. Mm. I don't know if my distinctions are correct or not. I This is the way I've always interpreted it, that mindfulness is more about watching yourself and meditation is more about um, sort of the process of how you get there. But again, I, that's not literal. That's just my whatever's, right. you know, so that might be contradictory to what you just said. So I know yours is probably more, it's more accurate. Um, but when I think of examples of how I try to be mindful, it's everything. It's observing the way I show up for people. It's the way I use words. It's the way I am in a meeting at work. Um, it's the way my body feels if I'm feeling a certain emotion. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's observation and uh, more witnessing, trying to separate and keeping, you know, just more of a monitoring or a witnessing. And then meditation is 
Number one, it's the tool that I use literally meditating to get into that place of that deeper well or that level underneath the, the wave level. I mean, sorry, the wave, the surface of waves. But I guess the state of meditation is more about that deep relaxation or that feeling of oneness and that feeling of, um, yeah, I think it's just a feeling of oneness, or at least that's what I aspire to. It's kind of like the other metaphor that I've had in my head for a while is when we're watching when we're when we're caught in our thoughts and ca caught in our lives and caught in our stories it's almost as if we're at a play like we're in a high school you know we're watching a high school play and we're sitting in the front row watching people the you know the the actors playing out their roles on stage and then meditation the more you meditate the further away you move from that front row until ultimately you can walk out the door and not really care about how the rest of the story goes. Like there's literally, there's literal space that gets created. So somehow that kind I of like that a lot, Callie. And again, That's a I don't good know. one. Um, so we're going to continue on this phase. We're going to be right back and we're going to talk more about John Kabat-Zinn. Wherever you go, there you are. And we're going to cover the other major pillars of this great iconic book. We will be right back. Glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, dear friends, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. I'm Callie Alpert in Long Island, New York, with my dear friend and co-host, Steve Hassenberg, hailing from the West Coast in Los Angeles, and we are doing our first show of 2022 and wishing you all a beautiful, healthy, adventurous new year with lots of new blessings. We have some new surprises coming your way as well with um, some new endeavors that we're working on. So we'll tease that up and uh, look forward to sharing more with you soon on that front. And today we are finishing up what, what um, started before the holidays, our legendary, our series, Legendary Personal Growth Books to Get You Through the Holidays with um, John Kabat-Zinn's sem seminal book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, which is really one of the most iconic books about mindfulness and meditation and how wherever we go, we take our stuff with us. So really, it's just a matter of deciding how we're going to quiet our minds, what tools we're going to embrace to make sure that we can find some quiet and some space around all of those human crazy perseverating scripts that we get ourselves caught in every day. Um, so we just talked about meditation and mindfulness as being like the first major tenant, right? Um, let's see. Let's talk about brain trainings, mm, right? Brain you, training. You taught me that, um, like in the time of Buddha, there wasn't a word for meditation. I taught you that at the time of Buddha, that it had to do with Bhavan. Mm -hmm. B-H-A-V-A-N, Sanskrit word, mm -hmm. means the training of the mind, right? Yeah. And and what did I tell you about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. That it's impossible to develop a mature mind if you don't deliberately train it. I think it's brain, an interesting... Right? Yes. I think it's an interesting word, mature mind, mm -hmm. right? Because when we were talking before about waking up mm -hmm. from the hypnosis of our mind stream, mm -hmm. that first waking up was the movement toward maturity. And maturity had so much to do with not just going along with our programming, whether it was our 
historical programming from other lifetimes, programming from our childhood, programming from our culture, but actually waking up and maturing out of that into an autonomous, powerful individual human. Mm, I love that. That's such a nice way to look at the idea of mature mind. It has nothing to do with the age of your body or the age of your mind. It has to do with the degree to which you want to um, be conscious about how you use it or how you let it get the best of you or not. That's cool. I like that. So we've got a caller on the line. Our first caller of 2022. Wow. Caller, are you there? Hi. Hi. I'm here. Hi. Hi. Happy I'm, New I'm Year. What's your you name and where are you back. calling from? Happy New Year. I'm Jan. I'm, a, I'm an avid listener. Thank and, you. Um, I, I have a, a, a comment and a question. Okay. In whatever order you'd like. Um, uh, well, I remember on one of the previous shows um, you mentioned, and then uh, again today, that we have between like sixty to 80,000 thoughts a day. Ah, thanks for there listening. <laughs> thanks there for listening. Somebody pays attention. <laughs> <laughs> How is it possible to be mindful of those and if we practice <coughs> meditation and mindfulness will it reduce the amount of thoughts that we have in a day it's cool oh what a great question does it reduce the amount of thoughts or does it just form a kinder relationship and more space around them that's a great question i have no idea what the answer is <laughs> what's, your, what's your best guess callie um this is a totally pure guess, and I, I think this is yeah. a great question. I would say that it probably does reduce the amount of thoughts, that if we start to practice and create more spaciousness in our mind and quiet our biochemistry that creates our thoughts, that maybe that means that less actually get churned out if we start to master um, our minds. But that's a guess. I would say that's a 100% correct guess. I'm so glad. <laughs> fact you get a prize because of that guess <laughs> okay great we'll talk about what that is so um let me go back to jan's first question is it possible to be mindful of all of that that's going on at the surface of the ocean and in essence yes but you wouldn't be mindful of every single thought you would be mindful of the mind stream itself. So when you practice, I've been practicing for 30 or more years. And I can tell you from that practice that I've stepped back enough that I can be aware of thoughts coming and going. And what Callie said is correct. Over a period of time when you're meditating, and your physiology becomes more purified, and you resolve a lot of the difficult and negative thought forms that you have, you do not have as many thoughts. And the person witnessing those thoughts isn't as engaged as he used to be. So whatever's coming, really, a lot of it doesn't even matter. And you sit in your silence and you go through your life and the thoughts come and some are really important and loving thoughts are really important and compassionate thoughts are really important and kindness mm -hmm. thoughts and tenderness thoughts. And so those are the ones that you put your attention on and the other stuff eh, doesn't matter so much. And it's almost like the space, the spaciousness starts taking up more space. Yeah. It's like less room for the thoughts. I it becomes know. more dominant. Yeah. And what was dominant before recedes into yeah. the background. How are you with your mindfulness, Jan, and your um, versus your mind stream? How busy is your mind these days? I think the mind stream is pretty dominant right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I totally uh, relate to and hear what you're saying and this this is powerful i can i can really feel what both of you have addressed here so glad thank you thanks for calling in and sharing that's really that's a an important question so thank you so much for that and thank you for listening and for your loyalty thank you appreciate it bye 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 um
So that's, that's such a great question. Really interesting. I never quite thought about it before. <clears throat> the idea that, um, yeah, just the idea that it's also, I guess what I wanted to say that sort of supplements what we just said to Jan is that it's really delicious when you can get to those moments where you really just fully in your body or in your just in air and you don't really feel like you're consumed by your mind. I know you have a lot of those moments. I have some on certain days and always aspiring to have more. Um, but it feels really good. I think that our society is so founded on knowledge and thoughts and figuring out and strategizing and navigating and making things in our culture so head-centric and brain-centric. And I think that what we're saying is really the opposite, at least for us as spiritual aspirants, right? That the Absolutely. less thoughts, yeah, the less we're in there, the happier we are and the more we grow. So it's just sort of interesting to kind of weigh both of those. Let me throw something out that we're going to get to maybe in the next one. Yeah. Is that when we talk about um, being able to witness the mind stream more and having fewer thoughts, we're really talking about presence. And so how many, maybe every spiritual mm-hmm. self-help book mm-hmm. is about presence. Mm-hmm. And yet what what is most people don't understand that presence is the absence of thought. Mm-hmm. Presence is silence. And to be able to get to silence, you have to take one of these ships, a mindfulness ship, a meditation ship, yeah, I got to take one of these vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing up that word. It's it's um we 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 sh- we uh neglected to to mention that and it is probably one of the key words in any kind of spiritual practice especially these days. Be present, be present, be present, be present, but it can't be overstated. It really is. Right. The, the aim, isn't it? Um so let's continue. Let's breeze through the rest of these um that are like the primary pillars of uh, John Kabat-Zinn's book. Um, Okay, so we talked about brain training and the idea of having a mature mind. The other one is thoughts and waterfall. Don't confuse meditation with positive thinking. And I wrote the Mm. note, beware of toxic positivity, which is Mm. a term I've only heard pretty recently, but I completely understand. I think there's so many people that... um, feel it's sort of it, I think it relates to what we said a little bit earlier which is the difference between observing something versus fighting against it and trying to get to a different place you know all those expressions like think positively or it's meant to be or change your thinking or things will get better or whatever it might be versus just leaning in and remembering that distinction because the former can actually put a lot of pressure on our minds to think ourselves out of a situation. And it also runs the risk of like that good old spiritual bypass, right? Yeah. That word spiritual bypass is very new, really. Mm. It's not something I heard about maybe a year and a half ago. I didn't even know what people were talking about, but then when it was described to me, I thought, well, that's very, very interesting because I think I had been guilty of that for a long time. Uh, try to find try to find the higher meaning, nothing wrong with that, without going through the lower feeling. Right, exactly. You can't skip steps as John Edward, psychic medium, used to always say, even though it's um, this is a bit of a departure based on his modality. But it was like you can't you can't skip steps. If you're in pain, you can't you know connect with your with the spiritual realms realms or talk to your loved ones or connect with you know a channel until you've felt your feelings or you're not going right. to clear the way. And so we're kind of saying the same thing. Yeah. So it's always walking a fine line. I had a, a beautiful conversation with a very dear friend of mine who's been grieving two of her closest people that she lost within mm. a week and a half of each other two years ago. Wow. And we were talking about that today, how she's um, really interested in starting and in, in wanting to move forward with the rest of her life, but also wanting to, you know, continue to honor mm-hmm. um, the grief and the feelings and finding that balance where it's not bogging her down. And yet she's also not thinking herself away from uh-huh. it. It's, it's a process and it, and it requires navigation. 
Um, so we always say, let your feelings flow around here. We're big, big <laughs> proponents of that. We are. Right? Yeah. And uh, we both have big feelings. We do have big feelings. Always. Scares, scares a lot of people on a lot of days. I know I scare a lot of people on a lot of days. And not because I'm scary, but my emotions are true. And yeah. People don't dig that. Let's so let's do one shout out to sensitive humans. Mm, let's do that. Okay, because yes. I was a very sensitive child. Yes, me too. And that meant I felt everything, mm-hmm. and I took everything in, mm-hmm. and it made my life horrible, and it <laughs> made my life wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also I have a bracelet. Actually, I have it on right now that um. That my mom, my mother of all people gave me recently. Um, and it says brave on it. And she didn't have any specific intention of why she gave it to me. But I've been wearing it every day since because for me, it connects me deeply to the part of me that um, is everything we're talking about that shows up in a really emotionally true mm-hmm. and way and expresses it, even though, like I said, a lot of people don't dig it or it might be too much or it might. Yeah be fraught with things that make people uncomfortable or make them feel like there's too many expectations of me, of them and all kinds of things I deal with on a regular basis. But I um, still stand by the idea of supporting our emotionality and giving it a safe place to live and to breathe. So um, there we are. Um, Sit with dignity as I hunch over the microphone. Think about your pot. Your posture is your personality. Um. You said, I think when you were reading some notes that for some people you can be like if you're that there's different postures for when you're sitting and meditating that can reflect different parts of your personality um, or can just create an awareness of what's going on with you so that you can make some shifts. Like too rigid. Right. Like if you're sitting too straight um, and too rigid, it means you're trying too hard. You shouldn't be stiff. You should be calm and relaxed. Again, this is Kabat-Zinn's suggestion for being able to sit and be comfortable. If you're slumping, which I do a lot, I'm doing it right now over the microphone, it can be a lack of confidence and a lack of clarity. Um, I learned when I was away over uh, at my spiritual ashram rehab that um, a lot that, that the intention, at least of this particular lineage, but it's probably more um, widespread, is that all the yoga um, asanas and the, the practice of physical yoga and postures is really meant to strengthen our ability to sit mm-hmm. for longer periods of time. Is that your experience? Uh, my experience, I, first of all, that's true. Mm-hmm. And from my experience of yoga, yoga, by the way, for everybody who doesn't know, means yoking. And yoking means coming back on itself. Mm, I never heard that. And so you do, the purpose of yoga is to come back to yourself. And from my Indian experience, it had to do with yoga as prayer postures. So what did that mean exactly? When you say yoga is a prayer posture, was that I mean, part each, tied into meditation or separate each, intentions? Each part, we have a very different kind of, of <laughs> yoga these days. But the original Hatha Yoga, when you were in Hatha Yoga, your eyes were closed. You weren't sweating in a room at 120 degrees with naked people. Yeah, that's controversial. The Bikram right? or, or sipping wine at a wine <laughs> yoga session. Or having goats crawl over your belly, which is or having goats, really darn cute, but maybe not the original yoga. Right. Or waiting for your your little bonbon at the end. <laughs> yoga was hatha yoga. And you would close your eyes and you would lean into the posture. And each of those positions would put you into touch with a certain kind of divine energy. That's what I learned. Did it work? Yes, at times, and other times it didn't at all. Okay, because that's a whole other show. I'll have to have a sidebar conversation <laughs> and after the show conversation okay. with why my asanas haven't taken me to the heavens lately. So we'll talk about that separately. And I do think we should do a show on sensitivity as we just were referring to the idea of sensitive they, they souls. Do sell, they do sell asana wings. 
<laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I'm going to use that for Halloween this year, maybe. Okay. Um, so sitting with dignity, um, you had a story, but did you want to share a Maharishi story of your, your, your time with Maharishi? Something about the, um, the mudras and the details oh. of things that didn't well define your practice. We, we could, I mean, that's another thing. The idea of sitting in a certain posture, Maharishi always used to tell us, be comfortable. If you want to transcend and your ankles are hurting you and you're in pain, don't sit there because you think that's going to get you to heaven. Let go of the pain, sit comfortably, and allow yourselves to transcend. And then one day we were talking about mudras, and he said something really revelatory. And he I want said, to interject, sorry to interrupt you. Mudras, for those that aren't familiar with that okay. word, are the, the positions of um, different ways that you hold your hands or different fingers touch for different types of meditation, or often what you'll see when someone's doing a pranayama-like breathing exercise, or often what you'll see when you're looking at a statue or an image of Buddha. Yeah, so he would say that whether the saints when they would attain enlightenment, or the Buddha when he attained enlightenment, all of a sudden, his fingers and hands took certain positions. Those positions came out of his state of consciousness. Those positions cannot put you in a state of consciousness. They're just hand signals. So if you like to use them, they're very pretty, but don't worry about them. Just sit down and try to meditate. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting because that's so often what you're taught with meditation classes and yoga classes, which is to assume those different positions right. and touch this finger to that finger because that's part of the whole thing. And um, it's really interesting to hear that it perhaps really happens in reverse. Right. Um, that that's sort of the manifestation of of creating a nice open channel of communication with higher, the higher realms. Right. Um, okay. So we talked about sitting with dignity um, and then having a daily discipline, right? Creating good habits. Um, this is, I don't think we can say enough. And we talk about this in almost every show that we do. The idea that a daily practice is a really important thing. If you want to bring some spirituality and some peace and some, spaciousness and equanimity into your life and it could come in the form of hugging a tree every day it could come in the form of petting your dog or walking quietly in the you know down the street it could come in the form of meditation or yoga or whatever it might be for you right but it's the idea that you're creating a sacred space for yourself to do something that gets you really quiet and really present so that you can hear yourself right every day and it creates, the discipline creates an anchor that makes it easier for you to do it every day. Mm. So if you do it for two weeks, you'll find that you want to do it the next day. Yeah, I find now, I mean, my, I've been meditating on and off for a few decades, but extremely loyally in the last 10 years. And even more extremely loyally in the last three years, like twice a day as opposed to once a day. And now I've even added, having come out of this um, getaway that I just took, um, everyday yoga, everyday pranayama breathing. Um, sometimes I'm like, all right, I better release my expectations and hopes for this, my, my dream about what it's going to do, because that kind of attachment doesn't really help the cause. But frankly, that's the state I'm in right now is, oh, I hope this gets me closer to God tomorrow. Um, but the point is, is that it really is, you know, you, you've called this so many times, your um, base camp, like your center, the place where you're quiet in the storm, the place where you can come back to, the place where you can hear your inner voice or even higher voices from other realms, um, depending on what you're open to and what you're looking Absolutely. for. Absolutely. Right. But a place where your deepest answers, where your deepest peace, where your deepest essence and clarity comes from and gets you away from the noise. And the more... I found the more I've practiced and devoted myself to to a practice, the more I need it and count on it. Mm -hmm. You know, it really can throw one off if you deviate mm -hmm. from it. Um, but I think until you do it more regularly, you don't realize you're missing it every day. Some people meditate a few times a week and that works for them. But when you start doing it every day and then you miss a day, you really feel a difference. You notice it. Right? Yep. What's your practice now? Do you want to tell, share it quickly in our, got another minute to talk about well, this if you the like practice i do now <clears throat> yeah 
So um, I brush my teeth. I open my my windows, and then I meditate. I meditate for about anywhere from a half hour to forty five minutes, mm-hmm. and then I do yoga, and then I go mountain hiking, and then I have breakfast, and then I uh, start working. And you're loyal to that. That's like you're like, there's not a lot of things you let interrupt that routine. I'm in. Yeah. I've gotten more loyal. I used to go to my computer first. And then the next thing I know, it's 11 o'clock and I haven't meditated. Now I'm just like, nope. First thing. First thing I do. Um, So daily discipline. Next one quickly in our remaining minutes, breath as anchor. Most people don't, number one, just to breathe deeply, but also to put your attention on your breathing and to notice when you're holding breath to notice when you take deep breaths and to realize that there really is a difference. Um, There are techniques that you can learn. You can even online, you could um, consult us if you like um, pranayama breathing. There's a lot of varieties that are super simple to incorporate into your daily practice. Um, And then finally from John Kabat-Zinn's seven pillars that we're covering today, one with the universe, being one with the universe or feeling one with the universe. Meditation is not the goal, but it's a vehicle to live fully and happily and peacefully. Do you want to talk quickly about um, the idea of mantra meditation and mindfulness, like the Vedantic versus the Buddha? No, I think why don't we give them the mindfulness meditation as our action plan. And if there are any questions about it, we can talk about it. Okay. So today we're going to give, we're actually offering one action step. We're deviating. This is a big deviation in the new year for us. One action step rather than bogging you down with three. Um, This is our one soul challenge for the week. Sit for three to four minutes. Practice a mindfulness technique. So sit in a comfortable chair, cross-legged, or with your feet touching the ground, and just start a nice, easy breath with your eyes closed. Maybe four counts in and four counts. I'm sorry, four counts in and four to six counts out. And that is your anchor point. And as thoughts come and go, have a welcoming, neutral attitude. So it's almost like you're watching them flowing down a river. You don't have to fight them. You don't have to be frustrated that you're feeling them. Just watch them come and go like a sailboat kind of moves on the water. And when you realize you're off your breathing, come back to it. So do this process for three to four minutes. And um, that's what we invite you to do. So we want to thank everybody for joining us, helping us launch this new year. We're excited about it. We're going to bring you some new offerings. We're going to have some great shows coming up. If you want to join us or uh, write to us, please find us at One Soul Radio on Instagram, One Soul Radio Podcast on Facebook. Please engage with us. Let us know topics and issues you might want us to talk about. We have an exciting new YouTube endeavor coming up in the not-so-distant future. And we will see you same time, same place next week. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.